Kindled Podcast is brought to you by the generous support of our donors. If you want to join them in making this show possible, visit kindledpodcast.com slash give. Hey, and welcome to episode 42 of Kindled, a podcast where women share stories of motherhood, work, and the grace we need for both. In today's episode, I had the privilege of chatting with author, speaker, and Bible teacher Meredith King about what it means to be immovable. In the midst of a changing current of culture, subjective and relative truth, and a limitless amount of encouragement to build our lives on the sand, Meredith shares with us what she has learned about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Last week, I shared that I would be taking the next four weeks off of producing new episodes to take this time to celebrate Advent with my family. The purpose of this is really to narrow my focus in on the coming of Christ. Sunday afternoons are often a time where I have to wrap up details for the show as well as record intros and outros, and I'm always up Sunday night later than I should be, uploading the episode, writing the show notes, etc., and I decided that this time would be better spent focusing my heart on why he had to come and what it means that he actually came. I want to invite you to do the same with your life in this season. There are so many resources as far as books and calendars that you can use to help you walk through this season with your family, and it can certainly be overwhelming deciding what you're going to do, but my best encouragement to both me and you is just to prepare him room. If we're going to experience the fullness of what Christmas has to offer us, we have to make space in our schedules, our lives, and our hearts to experience the thrill of hope that is building in the days leading to Christmas. It's not a hope for the gift you wanted or even seeing the look on your kid's face when they open the gifts that you got them, because undoubtedly they won't get everything they want. Fights will still happen on Christmas morning. Discipline will be necessary and sin will rear its ugly head just like every other morning. So I want to be centering my heart on the anticipation of what Christmas really means for me. It means that every time I see mine or my children's sin, it's an invitation to return to God to reclaim my heart and this moment for his glory, whether that is turning their tiny hearts back to the truth of their own need for a savior or turning my own. I'm sure many of you listen to Risen Motherhood, but they have some excellent Advent resources on their website and several episodes on the same topic if you want to learn more on that. Lastly, I just want to invite you to follow me on Instagram as I'll still be active and sharing in that space uh, during Advent. And I have several exciting things planned for the new year. So you will definitely want to stay tuned for that and how you can be involved. All right. And now for my conversation with Meredith. I'm going to just jump right in. So Meredith, thank you so much for being with us today at Kindled. Oh, I'm thrilled. It is just such a joy to have this opportunity. Yes, it's it's I'm super excited. And I was telling you before we started recording that um you sent me the first chapter of your book and as I was reading I was like this if I was going to write a book this is how I would start it. Like this is, <laughs> I felt like um we were kindred spirits or had had maybe lived some similar experiences just in regards <laughs> to leadership and finding our identity and work and, and all of these things. So I really was excited to talk to you about it and learn more about what, what led you to, to write this book. So, but before we get there, could you kind of introduce yourself and your family? Yeah, I'd love to. So I am a mama of two very energetic little girls named Abigail and Ella. Abigail is seven. She's in second grade and Ella 
is three and all that three entails in mm-hmm. our household. Three is a very challenging season. Um, and then I'm married to my high school sweetheart. His name is David. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. And like any other marriage, we've had some really great highs and some really challenging lows. But he's a he's the worship pastor at our church. And it's, it's been a fun journey. So that's a little bit about our family. That's awesome. Well, I have two girls also. So your oldest is, so she's second grade? Yes. Okay. So are they like, are they pretty close? Do they play or is there enough of a gap there that they do their own thing? Right now they think each other are just the greatest things ever. They play uh-huh. all the time. And then, you know, occasionally that goes south and we have to intervene. But for uh-huh. the most part, we are living in a sweet spot right now where oh, Abigail's so big enough to like get mm-hmm. snacks and like get toys out and help entertain her sister. And, you know, Ella yeah. just thinks her big sister hung the moon. So I'm yeah. loving this season. Uh, I'm an only so child. So the whole thing is totally new for me watching okay. this sister thing unfold. Yes, that's really fun. My girls are super good friends right now as well. And I hope they always will be. But this this age gap is is closer. So there's probably more um, friction than maybe your girls have, <laughs> just because they are literally fighting over the same toys. But it's so cute this morning before preschool. My oldest is Isla and Juliet is the younger. Aww. Isla made Jules. She called it a stuffy. We do not call stuff we don't call stuffed animals stuffies, but that's what she said. I made you a stuffy. And what it really was, was a popsicle mold with two, like those things that you put on the bottom of a chair or a couch. So when you move it, it doesn't scrape the floor, those little circles, uh-huh. yeah. those felt things. She took two of those and put them on the popsicle mold to make eyes and then handed it to Jules <laughs> and was like, I made you a stuffy. So, <laughs> what? One, where did you find these felt circles? <laughs> not what they're for. And two, this is not even soft. This is just a popsicle mold. So we're going to need to put this away. But Jules was like, no, I have to bring it. So I let her bring it to school with her. Of course. Oh, the things that end up in the backpack. I know. Yeah. I know. But Literally. all the love and creativity. But you may want to figure out where those felt circles came from. Your floors are at risk now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, one, those are not cheap. So give me those back. <laughs> But her teacher was like, what's this? I was like, I have no clue, but she needed to bring it. So, so funny. Oh, the life of of young children. I love it. Everything is sacred. Everything is sacred. Oh my gosh. Oh, we're about at the season where we need to do like deep cleaning in the rooms because the little treasures have just stored up beyond containment it's the treasure to the hallway yeah they're literally trash I mean we are literally it's it's not trash to treasure it's just trash to trash but she's keeping them like it's a treasure Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like every single note that she ever writes which is probably about 15 a day has to be like stuffed in her drawer and I'm just like oh my gosh feel like we're living the same existence (laughs) oh it's like the type (laughs) in me just wants to like dump the entire drawer into the trash but she would be like where are my notes (laughs) so and she would remember everyone She would know exactly what landed in the trash. Absolutely. Yeah. There has been times where she's like thrown something away and she's seen like some art that I've tried to stuff in the trash. She's like, what is this doing in the trash? And I'm like, oh, uh, whoops, that was an accident. (laughs) Do not throw my art away. So I have to be very careful how I go about that. 
I just had that conversation with Ella the other day. She was mortified. Mom, why did you throw my art away? And I just, I try to remind her, we can't keep everyone. Here's the ones we're keeping. You know, it's hard. It's real. It's a lot of paper, a lot of paper. Well, yeah. And they get sent so much stuff home with them too, that I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm maybe a mean mom. I just can't keep every little finger painting. There's just so like literally probably 10 a week for at this age, maybe it's just more. Um, but man, anyways, we could have um, a whole podcast on how to deal with paper clutter as a mom. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I should find solutions. A, I know. Expert. Yeah. Huh. Paper <laughs> clutter expert. That's gotta, that's gotta be a thing. Somebody is it's, doing that. Somebody is that. And we need to learn their ways. Yes. Yes. What do you do? They're probably gonna like laminate it and put it in a beautiful book. And then I'm gonna be like, no, I'm not doing that. No, that's not real life. <laughs> and, um, no. That is not going to be my part-time job. Okay. So you wrote a book, Immovable. I, did. I um, sure did. Somehow with all of that going, on. You also wrote a book. Um, when did it come out? Yeah. So Immovable released early this year and it was at uh, the deadline was determined by some transition in my life. So for the last nine years, I served as the executive director of True to Life Ministries in South Texas, which is a nonprofit that my husband and I started over nine years ago to help students and adults transition out of poverty. And we knew from day one that I would not retire as the executive director, that at some point we would need to make a transition. So the time for that transition came. Um, It was such a beautiful and challenging season and all the things that you would expect. So now I'm in a new role called founder and vision ambassador. I'm I'm a volunteer. So I'm like full, full circle back where I started as a volunteer working on big picture strategy and strategic partnerships. But I really I'd had a lifelong dream of writing a book that had been something I'd wanted to do since childhood. And I really wanted to be able to hand this book, Immovable, to the team at True to Life as I made this transition from you know being in the trenches and in the office every day to now being a little bit more removed from the day-to-day, no longer being in the office every day, not being in the trenches as much. And so that was the catalyst, that transition was the catalyst for getting this book written, finished and published by the beginning of the year, because I I wanted to hand it to them just as if to say, like, I'm not going to be with you every day, but I want you to have these reminders of what it looks like to build our life and leadership on solid ground. So, and so, you know, I definitely wrote it with them in mind, but it's, it's for anybody who's leading from an office or a boardroom or a playroom in the living room. You know, it's more about you know, just making sure our lives are built on solid ground. Yeah. I think that says a lot about you that you, in stepping down from a leadership role, you didn't just like step down and walk away or be like, oh, you know, done with that. Moving on to the next thing. You wrote a book. I mean, how many people step away and then just, oh, I'm going to write a book for you because (laughs) I don't want to leave you in the dark. Like that's pretty, that's a, you are very committed to these people and (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it had really been our life's work um, for the last decade, such a crazy story of how it all started. But, you know, basically prior to starting true to life, I was in a corporate job that I loved and we'd had this idea, but thought it would be a hobby someday. And the Lord just had us take a hard right turn unexpectedly. It felt like out of nowhere. It wasn't out of nowhere, but it felt like it was out of nowhere in the middle of a major economic downturn in 2009. 
to leave everything that felt secure and steady and, you know, provided things like, you know, an income that paid for things like housing and food (laughs) to start a nonprofit organization. And it's really been incredible to have that front row seat to God's restoration work and in people's lives that are broken, really broken and looking for hope. What does it look like to climb out of the pit of poverty and how do we get people to join us in that work? So that, you know, um, true to life is still incredibly important to us. So that transition wasn't about leaving a position. It was about moving into a new one so that I could really focus on long-term strategy. And so that true to life could have an executive director in this season that had a little bit of a different skill set. And at the same time, you know, now I get to live in two of my favorite worlds, which is, you know, still being a part of the true to life family, even though it's different and I'm not there every day, but then now my new, my new day job is something I'm equally as passionate about, which is being the executive director of Integris Leadership. And Integris um, exists to equip and encourage ministry leaders so that their impact can be sustainable and significant. So we work with pastors and parachurch ministries all over the country, church planters and missions agencies and kind of in that faith-based Mm-hmm. Uh, sector committed to building the kingdom to help them build strong teams and to mobilize their mission because I want lots of people to know Jesus, not just yeah. in my local community. So yeah, it was really special. I cried a lot the day I handed a movable to the staff at True to Life. I read them the introduction as we gathered for prayer in the lobby and mm-hmm. you know they humored me and, and loved me as I cried and, and read those words to them. But really it's it's my prayer for them, but it's my it's my heart for all of us that as Christ followers who have influence in whatever sphere that is, that we are set apart in living and building our lives on, on something that's solid and immovable. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ways that we are set apart. Yeah. When you said, you know, you, that you worked with leadership organizations and, and parachurch ministries on mm-hmm. how to, you help them build strong teams so that they would have sustainable impact. I just thought, you know, that applies as much as it does to organizations, to families, you know, and mm-hmm. to, to individuals. And, you know, I know that this book is for men and women, but, you know, since we're talking about women here on this episode, you know, I just think of that applies to every single mom, yes. every single, I mean, even if you're not a mom, it still applies to you. But I think specifically because you are, you have to, this is a long game. You know, you don't, you don't become a mom just because you want a baby. Like if you do, you'll be, you'll be quickly you know, uh, disappointed that this is a lifelong thing. Like until, <laughs> until somebody leaves this earth, you are that mom, you are their mom. And, and I think this is something I think I maybe I've mentioned before on the, on the podcast, but I remember when I was pregnant, I thought, okay, I just have to get to 12 weeks. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I thought, okay, it's only 12 weeks. That's what I got to get to. And then I'm safe. Or then I'm like, okay. And then that happened. And then I was like, okay, well now I have to get to 20, that next ultrasound. And then that happened. And now I have to get to, okay, 34. That's when the lungs are developed. Okay. And then I just kept like the bar kept moving. And then when she was born, I remember realizing, oh my gosh, like the bar just moved so far ahead of me to where I can't even see it. And it's actually like an infinite bar in my life. Like that bar is never going to go. It's never like, okay, I finally crossed that line where I'm not a parent. (laughs) And that, you know, it was like a beautiful, but also a really terrifying reality that, oh my gosh, I don't actually have what it takes to be in control here. And I probably don't even have what it takes to actually 
run this long race. And I realized why I like instantly had to change the, my source of strength, my source of like, of energy and focus and determination from myself or achieving something or getting somewhere to depending only on God. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that was the only hope for me to make it to that, that finish line, wherever it is of being a mom on this earth, you know, it's, there is no other answer really. And so, yeah, I just think that what you're doing, I don't exactly know how you're doing it. So I'd love to talk about that, but like what you are doing and helping people build sustainable teams, organizations, families, because this does apply is it, I mean, it's life, right? It is like Mm -hmm. what life is made up of. Like you, this is a race. This is a long race. So Mm -hmm. it's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And you know, with it comes great challenges, but I think it really comes out of even my own passion, like you said, to run the race well and to help other people run the race, mm-hmm. to run their race well, because we were made for that. Like Jesus, Jesus said, like, you know, I'm with you and you're, you're going to do greater things than, than even, you know, what the disciples got to see as they walked with Jesus. And so if we're really going to see that and experience that, uh, this is not, this is not a marathon, uh, a sprint. It is definitely a marathon. Yeah. hundred percent. So you start this book. I mentioned that I love how you started it and you start this book out and basically you, the format, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like you basically walk through all the various ways that we are immovable. Right. And mm-hmm. like you kind of break it down into topics or subjects that, that contribute to that. And you start with identity. Mm-hmm. So why did you start there? Because I started this podcast with an episode on identity as well. And I don't think I thought that hard about it. I just knew for myself, I could not even move outwards from, I couldn't move into work or into purpose or into what I'm doing or how to do it before I understood who I was. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of share what, how you started that and, and then, you know, and why? Yeah. So it's, it's funny, the chapters and immovable really kind of stand alone. I mean, you could read them almost in any order. Um, the, the introduction in this book is really important. It definitely kind of sets the stage. Um, but the chapters kind of stand alone. I mean, you can, you can skip around if you want to. However, the first two chapters were put in that order on purpose. So my hope is that, that the first few are read in order, starting with identity, because I think so much of this shifting sand that we feel uh, in our lives or in our culture really go back to that. But if we can nail that down, if we can be really confident in who we are and who we're not, then, then everything can be built on top of that. But if we don't have that settled, if we're not confident in who we are because of Jesus, then everything is up for discussion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything. But our identity is not in question. Uh, the world has a lot of definitions as to success, what it looks like to be a good mom, what it looks like to be a good leader, that pressure to do more, be more, fight for the top, figure it out, work harder. You know, I think that those rabbits that we chase are often just an identity struggle masked as something else. Yeah. But if we can start by building our lives on solid ground and our identity, knowing who we are in Christ, and, and who we are because of Jesus, um, then that sets us up for 
for building our lives on solid ground. But if that piece isn't in place, then our foundation isn't secure. And I really think that identity is really where it starts. Yeah. Yeah. It is the foundation. And it makes me think of that verse of, uh, I don't know where this is in the Bible, but about building your building your house on the sand or on mm-hmm. the rock. And, yeah. and you don't actually know where you've built the house until the storm comes, you know, the, the mm-hmm. foundation isn't revealed until you, until you actually undergo a storm until the rains come and then wash that away. And so I think that's why we see so many people, you know, believers included, just like grappling with, you know, purpose or what they're doing or their work. And, you know, and I've been there as well because the storm comes and you're like, I am, I am out to sea, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I am no longer anchored to the shore because what I was kind of banking everything on was this thing that was movable, this thing that wasn't solid, that couldn't hold me. And, and then the storm I, reveals that. So I was just going to say, you know, I think a lot of the things that we unintentionally, like we wouldn't name them. Like, it's not like we point to something with a sign that says, I'm trying to build my identity on that. Like it's, no. <laughs> we don't point to our desk at work and say, this is going to be my identity. Or we don't hold up a business card and say, I, Hey, this title, that's my identity. We don't even point to a relationship with with a significant other, or whether we become a mother or not and say, hey, my identity hinges on that, but we behave like that's what we believe. We don't call those things where we're trying to find our identity, but often we are and we know it because when it falls apart, we're devastated and like shaken at our core. And so at the end of the day, um, Jesus is the only one strong enough to hang our identity on. Like he's the only one that won't crumble. He's the only one that's not going to fall apart. And, and if we try to put it in things and created things versus our creator, it's going to fail every time. And it, it may be a long fuse before it explodes, but it eventually will. And, you know, I, I see it in my own life in the seasons of struggle of feeling like I need to fight for it, that I need to, I need to make something happen or that if I just get X, then I'm going to be fulfilled and complete. That's an identity struggle that needs to be settled at an identity level. There's nothing externally that can settle that discussion except for knowing who we are in Christ and our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but no, not, not at all. Yeah. So what's, what's next in your book after identity? What's the next, what's the one that you wanted people to read in order after identity? So it kind of, you start with identity and then we pretty quickly in the book move into calling for our calling as Christ followers. And then, you know, our, our assignments as individual people. And I think that's really important. I I heard my friend Kat Armstrong talk about this one time and she was able to articulate things that I've been writing about for a long time, which is we've confused our calling with our assignment in our, in our Christian culture, we've kind of made our calling a vocation. We've, we've made it a job title. And I I heard Beth Moore, uh, I think it was last year, talk about how, what a shame it would be to think that we need to have our whole lives figured out exactly what we're going to do and what the Lord has quote called us to by the time we're 25. And if we don't have it figured out, then there's something wrong with us. And then to assume that whatever we think we know at 25 is going to be the lane we run in for the rest of our lives. is just not reasonable, but scripture has so much to say, just like it does about our identity and who we are um, in Christ when we're made alive because of the cross, 
scripture has a lot to say about what we are called to do. And um, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with a specific job. Like the, the purpose in our lives really centers on loving God, loving people and making disciples. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely found myself in seasons where I'm so interested in trying to figure out the next thing that I'm missing the things that are right in front of me. Mm -hmm. Am I loving God? Am I loving people? Am I making disciples? Let's master that really well (laughs) before we move on to something else. Most of the time in the New Testament, when scripture is talking about calling, it's talking about us being called to belong to Christ. We are called to belong to Christ. Um, We are called to belong to Christ through salvation. That's what we're called to do. We're called to belong to him. And because we belong to him, we love God. We love people. We make disciples. But, you know, where does, where does the rubber meet the road at the micro level? Does it? Yes. I mean, Ephesians tells us that God has good work for us to do, like real ground level work. We don't have to wait till heaven to get busy with stuff. Like he's got stuff here for us to do today. Um, but we need to recognize that those, some of them are assignments and we need to hold them in open hands because they may change. Just like mine did at True to Life for nine years. I, I was on assignment to be the executive director, but my calling has not changed, even though I no longer hold that title. My calling is still the same. I'm still called to belong to Christ, mm-hmm. to love God, to love others, to make disciples. Where I'm doing that, how I'm doing that looks a little different than it did five years ago. And it was because I was on assignment. And now my assignment is a little bit different. Yeah, that's a freeing, it's a really freeing conversation to have, especially because so, so many voices in culture and social media, and I'm sure even voices in our real life are, you know, people we know, friends, family do equate what we do with who we are. I mean, we do that as believers all the time, you know, okay, well, what do you do? That's who you are. Well, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a work-at-home mom or I'm a working mom. And, and that is like, okay, that's who I am. But then what, what if and when, it's not really when, it's not if, but when that um, assignment changes and you are called to go home or you're called to go to work in, in the sense of what you're doing right now, you can feel like, oh my gosh, my entire, my entire universe is getting turned on its head. But that means your entire universe was already on its head. You know, it was already upside down. It wasn't mm-hmm. actually the way it should, because like you're saying, the assignment or that the outworking of that, that life level, that vocation level calling of, you know, what I was actually created to do, that doesn't have to change that. And that never did. But, but it was really more our misinterpretation or misunderstanding and our, our assigning value or I'm not sure how to say this. I'm sure you could say it better, but assigning eternal level value to what I'm doing right now today in my work, instead of to that calling that Christ has called me to, which is to love God, love others, make disciples. And I can do that. Like you said, from my playroom floor or or from the boardroom, you know, either, either place might be where I'm being called to, but we do attach our identity so closely to our work. I, especially, I know I, this is a big area for me. I don't know what you are on the Enneagram, but I am a three. And so I'm just very, I'm always trying to be found enough by what I can do, what I can Mm -hmm. achieve, what I can, you know, what my work is. And yeah, and it's, it's, that's a lot of my sanctification processes around that and that one battle of like God taking it away or 
slowing the results that I want to see so that I am reminded, oh yeah, it's not that because Mm -hmm. I'm so tempted all the time to just turn it into that again. And and I'm, you know, anyways, tangent Mm -hmm. again, but no, no, you're good. And can we still be friends if I tell you, I don't know what I am on the Enneagram. Yes. (laughs) No, it's so good. (laughs) I, I, um, I actually bought the All right. Book. Sorry. Interview has to end. <laughs> <laughs> we can no longer be friends. I, um, I bought the road back to you. Oh, good. Yes. It's my holiday read. So yeah, I'm reading it right now in a couple weeks and maybe I'll know. Will I know what I am if I read that book? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, good. I mean, yeah, you will. That's why I, I bought it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to know. I think I might know, but I'm not sure. So I don't want to say it publicly until Got I really it. know for sure, but, but I yeah. think I might know. Yes, I I have uh, I took a test I think through the Enneagram Institute, but I've also heard from some teachers, even Suzanne Stabile, who is uh, wrote that book with Ian Crom. Crom, is that how you say it? I'm not sure. Okay. Anyways, with Suzanne Stabile has said, I've heard her say that you can identify your number most easily based on your weakness and what what your weaknesses are. It's kind of it's kind of a negative toned test in that it shows you a lot of your weaknesses, but that's because we all know our weaknesses really well. We don't all know our strengths really well. (laughs) And so it's real easy to go. Yeah. That's what I struggle with. But in doing that, then you can get clarity on like, well, what are my strengths? And and then where can I like live more fully into that? So anyways, yeah, I think you will definitely, the descriptions in that book, I'm only like on the second number. So I'm on nine. He started with eight, then nine. They're amazing. And I, I mean, it's just so it's so helpful. It's so helpful for me in, in understanding my friends and my husband and myself mm-hmm. and really, you know, just having stronger relationships. So yeah, no, I, I know I this isn't it. an episode on the Enneagram, but that's uh, okay. like, we're, yeah. I feel like we're going to need to have another one because once I know what, what I am, <laughs> then we could really dive into that. But, um, my guess is that you and I may have a lot of similarities okay. <laughs> because it's really easy for me to get focused on the things that are temporary, like right in front of me, because I love goals. I love accomplishing goals and I love creating things and making things happen and, and moving the dial. Right. Mm-hmm. So the seasons that I've needed to be still or, um, or rest more mm-hmm. uh, or that I didn't feel were as productive. Mm-hmm. That's where the Lord and I really had to make sure that the identity conversation is settled. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's where it becomes a little bit more real and vulnerable for me when I'm not busy doing yeah. a lot of other things that, you know, here's, here's one of the things that I'm really, I'm learning. I have been learning and I think I will learn until Jesus calls me home is that, you know, if I'm, if I'm chasing things to validate me, to fulfill me, that job's never going to be done. But I think that's the beautiful part of what, of the rest that we have in the Lord is it's not just rest for our bodies. It's rest and that the work is finished. Like we don't have to earn God's love, that we don't have to earn our salvation, that we don't, we don't have to earn the Lord's approval because of what Jesus did on the cross, that work is done. And that gives us rest on the inside. And when when we can rest from the internal need to prove, to strive, to work, to achieve, then we really can build our lives on, on things that are immovable because everything else is movable. And if it appears that we're winning, 
then we feel good. If it appears that we're not winning, then we feel bad. But what if, what if it's more about the journey? What if, you know, Paul went through so many hard things, shipwreck, being left for dead, people stoning him, rejecting him. He easily could have called that failure, but it wasn't like he was actually being faithful in the assignment that God had given him. And to me, that's where, you know, the whole concept of obedience over outcome really comes into play. Like, am I in this really as a servant to the Lord, or am I trying to get something and then I'm going to celebrate the outcomes that I like and feel like a failure when I don't get the outcomes that I want. So um, that's an important filter for us and really ties into this identity question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt this episode, but I have to ask you a favor. It's not to buy my product or someone else's, but it's to spread hope. I want to take a quick second to invite you to share Kindled with a friend. Kindled, after all, does mean to light, ignite, set fire to, arouse, or awaken. My prayer and hope is that every episode of this show ignites in you hope and fans into flame the gifts and skills that God has given you. That the various stories and women you hear from would ignite in you a fervor for God and His glory and a desire to live more fully into what He's calling you to. One simple and real way you can do that is by sharing this episode with a friend right now. Screenshot it and add it to your stories on Facebook or Instagram, or maybe text it to a friend. Maybe this is a neighbor, a mom from preschool or your kid's elementary school, a fellow entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mom, or maybe your sister-in-law. Your words mean so much more than you know. Your recommendation is your stamp of approval and people trust you. So if you love this show and it has encouraged you, please share it with just one mom who could use the hope and encouragement today, which isn't that really all of us. And last, if you want to go a step further to support Kindled and keep it around, you can give a one-time or a regular gift by going to kindledpodcast.com slash give. I heard on a podcast yesterday that Paul McCartney said, life is what is lived on the way to your dreams. Like Mm -hmm. it is lived in the small moments on the way to whatever it is you think that you're striving for, aiming for, moving towards. And I, and although I don't think he was speaking about the spiritual life, I think that it's true. Like you said, it is the journey and that may sound cheesy, but I, but it's, it's really true. I think that it really is. It is not about the achieving or the doing or the outcome. And God isn't interested in what we can produce or be. And and you, you actually say this in your book, Um, do more, be more, fight for the top, figure it out, work harder. You know, that is what the world is telling us. And it appeals to us because it sounds right. It sounds like, yes, that's, I was made for more. I was made for something more to do more, to be more, to get to the top, to figure it out and to work harder. I can do that. I'm strong. You know, I'm a strong woman. And while I do believe I'm a, I'm a strong woman, I that is not the goal. Those things, they they completely disintegrate in the storm of life because then when my circumstances change and I feel weakened or I feel not enough, well, now I, I suddenly can't achieve any of that. I can't do any of it. I can't be more, you know, I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm breaking down on every level. And I, and I think, I mean, I would love to hear your opinion on this, but I feel like one of the reasons that appeals to us so much, those those calls to more and higher and better is because we were actually made, like you said, to know and love God. And He is the one who is more. He it ha- has been more. He has achieved the top. He has figured it out. He has done 
immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He's done everything for us Mm -hmm. and made it so that we don't have to strive and we don't have to achieve because we could never achieve salvation for ourselves. And it's like, that is what our souls are longing for. We're longing for that, but we just, we like aim too low. We aim at the horizon on this earth and go, okay, it's somewhere out there that I've got to get to. That's where I'm headed. It's just a few, it's just like a couple mountains up and I just got to keep climbing. And it makes sense that the world would look around and go, okay, well, what can I achieve here? What's the next like hill I can crest? But we should know better. And we have truth that is, you know, that, that just completely flies in the face of all of that. We, we have the truth. We know that that isn't what it's about, but it's just so appealing to us. And I, and I, anyways, that's just kind of had a visual there. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on why those messages are so compelling Mm-hmm. And there's so, I mean, I don't know that they've ever been more prevalent in culture. Maybe they have. I mean, I've only been alive in this generation, so <laughs> I don't know what it, what it was like to be alive in 1700. But yeah, why why is that so prevalent? And why are we even so susceptible as believers to that? And and then how do we how do we replace those lies with truth? Yeah, you know, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the desire for greatness that is inside of us was actually put there by God. Like I think mm-hmm. I think He put it there to do two things: to point us to Him for all the reasons that you just said, and then number two, to remind us that we're actually part of a bigger story. Mm-hmm. Like there's something in us that wants to be part of something that matters. Nobody, nobody says, you know, when I get to the end of my life, I just hope I feel mediocre about the whole thing. Like, (laughs) I hope I just played it safe and, you know, stayed in the middle of the road. Like none of us say that now our behavior, you know, that's different, but like none of us say that that's who we want to be. Nobody wants to be average. (laughs) We all want to be great. And I think, I think it points us to the greatness of the Lord because he is all of those things. And then I think too, it it ties us to the bigger story. Like we are actually in God's great story of redeeming and reconciling the world. Like when we wake up every morning, I may be in mismatched pajamas, like drinking cold coffee, but, uh, but what I'm really doing is I am a part of God's bigger story of how he is reconciling the world. And if I can get on board with that, that's where you find purpose in the playroom. That's where you find purpose in the boardroom. That's not based on achievement or what's on your business card. That's how you find lasting purpose at McDonald's when you're standing in line you know, with your kids or in the grocery store aisle. It's what makes all the normal things of our life incredibly meaningful when we tie into that. And there's something in us that's compelling us toward that. The problem is we we're shooting for the wrong target mm-hmm. and we keep getting burned. And so we just try another target and we try again and we try again and we try again until we exhaust ourselves, which I've definitely been there. Like I've hit the wall of burnout. I've landed in bed because of it. And, but then I survived and came out on the other side with a much better understanding of what it looks like to have an identity that's not up for discussion, that's not determined by anyone else's opinions or my own accomplishment that is settled purely with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to actually, you know, overcoming those and, and building our lives on, on what is solid, the, the title of the book, Immovable, comes from first. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, a scripture there toward the end that says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And those powerful words, steadfast and movable, always abounding. I mean, just those words alone just create such an incredible picture of, of who the Lord is and, and who he's asking us to be in him, steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, meaning sometimes we might think it is. Like circumstances may tell us that this is not, this is not moving the needle. It is not moving the dial. I am plowing hard ground and nothing is happening here. But what he's saying is, no, it is happening. Yeah, he's is not, happening. He didn't say your, your work as a pastor is not in vain or your work as a minister or your work as a CEO. He's just said yeah. your work, which means any work yeah. we do, yes, all work. Follower. Yes. And as you're doing the work, whatever it is, as you're doing your life, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're having Thanksgiving dinner, as you are putting gas in your car, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We could abound in a lot of things, (laughs) but let's abound. Let's fill our lives to overflowing with things that last. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to be about. So how do we do that? You know, I think having the long view in mind, realizing that the things that we feel are so important and urgent in the moment, in the grand scheme of eternity, they're just a blip on the radar. And that's not to minimize those things, but the perspective does help for us to right size uh, the goals, the the needs, the unfulfilled desires even of our hearts. Um, So have the long view in mind. you just can't get away from the importance of reading your life in scripture, you know, and, and prayer, like actually talking to the Lord. So when, with the book, there's a couple of free resources online. There's a free chapter on rest, which talks a little bit about that season of burnout that I mentioned a moment ago. And then there's a guide on how to pray scripture called prayer doesn't have to be boring. If I will consistently, and that might not mean every day spending super extended periods of time in prayer and Bible study, I'm a mom of two little kids and I, and I have a demanding job. So that doesn't happen every single day, but it does happen consistently in my life. And when I use scripture to guide my conversations with the Lord, I can feel my life being rooted in what is solid. And then I would say, I I need truth tellers in my life. I need people who will ask me hard questions and who will, who will help me see things in a way that I can't see on my own. And I need to, I need to have intentional time with those people. So I'm a huge fan. You can call them mentors. You can, you know, Mm -hmm. call them friends, whatever, but like people who will say the truth, I call them truth tellers. Like I've just got a handful of people that if I start to get a little off center on where I'm building my life, they can help me see that and move back in. Yeah, that's really good. mm -hmm. I was going to say, you know, so the book goes on to talk about all these different topics. It talks about failure, talks about criticism. It talks about prayer. um, It talks about celebration. You know, there's a lot of different topics that Immovable covers, but they're all elements that if we can have you know, right perspective in those things, then they work together to help us build a life and, and leadership on solid ground. So that's all I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's great. In your book, you talk about, I don't know if this is the same period, but a time where you needed to get away and your husband booked a trip for you guys to <laughs> the mountains. And when you were describing like your need, like your soul level need to get to the mountains, to see something bigger than you, I was like, 
okay, we're the same person because (laughs) I live in Kansas, which is mostly flat. And so I grew up like vacationing in Colorado and going skiing with my family. And it just kind of built into me this like expectation that almost it trained me to to need that time. Like every year it felt like, oh, okay, I could breathe again. Like I I saw, you know, I saw something bigger than myself. Saw something bigger than than what I feel like often controlled, you know, my expectations of myself or my work. And so when you were writing about that, I was like, wow, this this is it's so true that even just having a, a tangible physical reminder of our smallness and of how great and immovable God is that he created mountains. Like he spoke that into existence, that, that mm-hmm. mountain that I'm driving through on the winding road and seeing it like covered in snow. It's just, it's, it, it's mind blowing, especially for me because I live in a very flat plains <laughs> place. Um, but I, I think we often, you know, we do need those real physical reminders. And like you said, we need those actual people in our lives. Like we obviously need to be in the word of God. We need to be reading our Bibles. And on that note, one time I was talking with someone about like what it means to be in the word. And they're like, well, there's just so many different ways we can be in the word. And I was like, really? How? Like, <laughs> how else can we be in the word other than literally reading it? Because yeah, at some point you actually have to read it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love a good podcast. I love audiobooks. I Yes. But there is no replacement for for actually reading the word. And and I'm not going to argue about whether you listen to it or read it, but I'm just, you know, I think we need to be very explicit there that you actually, if you're a believer and you want to be being filled, that's where you go to get filled. Like a podcast is a great redirect and a great time to, you know, engage your mind on these other issues that might flow out of it. And then the practical and how do I do that? How do I apply the scripture? But it's not the word of God. It's not supposed to fill you. It cannot fill you. Like you will, it's like you say, it's a, it's a little sip of water, but it's not going to quench your thirst anyways. So I, I loved that your mountain analogy and was just like instantly, like I actually had to do some work this fall because I, I did go to the mountains and I had to really kind of talk with God about my desire for that, like for this escape or this like kind of almost like escapism, like I could turn it into, I just need to go retreat and get away from everything that is hard. But you know, sometimes when you go to the mountains, things are hard too, and kids throw fits and family is tough and things don't magically get better. And so anyways, I think he's, he's growing me in that area to not need like a, uh, vacation from my life as much as, as really reminding me like that I can find that anywhere that he is. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and anyways, so I don't know what my point is there. (laughs) No, I love it. And I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And you know, that, that trip came, that was about 10 years ago and, uh, that story. And that was in truly one of the most difficult seasons of our life. You know, David and I got married with all of the hope and promise that every new married couple starts with, um, And then three months into our marriage, everything around us just fell apart. And it wasn't us. Like we, we were hanging on to each other and hanging on to the Lord, but tragedy after tragedy, death after death. I mean, it was just really tragic and like gut wrenching. Like we went to the mat with the Lord. Like, are you still here? Because I'm not sure that we see you right now. Yeah. And then we ended up having... So I was, I was in my early twenties and I ended up taking in a teenage niece who was really struggling at the time, like with a lot of very difficult life circumstances. So we became 
parents in this season of grief and difficulty in our early 20s and to a 16 year old. Um, And ultimately she behaved out of our house. And that was just such a dark season. It was such a dark time. That's where you really have to ask yourself, (laughs) am I being obedient or am I chasing an outcome? Because this didn't go how I thought it was going to. And, and how do we, how do we put our hearts back together and how do we put our lives back together? So that's what led us to the mountains. Um, but I wouldn't trade any of it for, for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking of the person who's listening, who's like, this is all really great. But when you say lead from the playroom floor mm-hmm. and, and be immovable, even in that, and I feel like there's nothing for me there or, I don't know. I just think it's so hard. It, I mean, motherhood is such an isolating thing often. Um, how would you encourage someone who is in that place of feeling like I'm not, I'm not where I want to be serving God. This isn't what I pictured and I want to be there. I want to be where you are, or I want to be running an organization, or I feel like if I'm not doing ministry in the, in the quote unquote, like traditional sense of doing ministry, then it doesn't count or it doesn't qualify. How can that mom lead from that place and how can she, you know, what, what would be your, your advice for how to reorient her heart to, to really start believing that that is true? I think comparison is one of the enemy's greatest schemes to cause discouragement and to immobilize us. So when we start feeling like I'm not where I want to be. This doesn't matter. This is not as important as what someone else is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Most often we need to go back to what our elementary school teachers told us, which is to keep your eyes on your own paper Mm. and and to run in the lane that God has marked out for you because it's your lane and no one else can run in it. And Comparison is the lie that tells us that what we are doing and what the assignment is that the Lord has given us isn't as good as someone else's. Mm -hmm. But that just doesn't line up with what we know about the Lord's character or what we see in scripture. I mean, in Psalms, it says no good thing does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And it's not that we're perfect, but we're blameless because of Jesus. God's not hiding good things from us, but comparison will rob us of the good things that he has assigned us to in this season. So I would say, do some soul searching, like is comparison the root of my struggle? Like, is that the lie that I'm believing that what I've been assigned to is not as good or as holy as someone else's? Because you got to, you got to call that what it is, which is a lie and deal with it there. The other thing is take a step toward leveraging the season that you're in with a little bit more intentionality. And so Um, Right now, I don't have a lot of free time. And so, um, you know, intentionality for me looks like leveraging meals. Like, how do I invite people into things that I'm already doing? Um, So whether it's a college student that I want to pour into, um, the easiest thing for me to do is breakfast for dinner because everyone loves pancakes. And and how do I invite someone to my table? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's inviting a mom for a play date just to offer some encouragement and to create some community. You know, maybe it's using nap times. Um, to become a prayer warrior for um, for people that you know who are in difficult seasons. You know, I have a friend who runs a business out of her home 
Um, and she has a special needs daughter and that business is as much of a ministry as it is a business. And she does it in her free time. Do we even really have free time? But like you get the idea. So I think a lot of it is just becoming more intentional with the days that we have Mm -hmm. and moving toward people, a neighbor, the person at the checkout counter at the grocery store, like having a real eyeball to eyeball conversation And then inviting people into this journey and not feeling like we have to entertain them. Like that's usually the best place to start. Does any of that make sense to you? Yeah. Oh, it does. And I was, my next question was going to be, okay, so what about for the working mom or the mom who's an entrepreneur or whatever? But the answer would be the exact same Mm because everything you were saying was like, I was like, well, that applies to me, (laughs) you know? So I I think that is, um, anyways, unless you would have something to add, but I, I do feel like that is true for all of us that we often, we look to comparison and, and, and when you're, when you're working or when you're a working mom, I mean, the challenges are different and the temptation to compare is, is on a different topic or, oh, uh, well, I'm not homeschooling or I'm not, um, you know, what fill in the blank of like, whatever you're not doing that someone else is doing, you know, I mean, it's just so easy. There's, you can find a million things. Cause I'm definitely not doing all the things I'm not doing as many play dates. I'm not doing this, but that's starting in the wrong place. Like with what you're doing. And it goes all the way back to what we started talking about with like our work and what we're, what we do is not what God said was the calling. The calling was to be a disciple and and to follow him and to know him and love him and make more disciples. And so when you are alone in your home with your kids or when you are on a play date or when you are at work in your cubicle or when you are in a meeting with a client, you can do that. I mean, and I'm, I'm not at all minimizing that, you know, our children are, you know, they only have one mom, right? Like, we're the only one who get to be the mom to them. So that is a special role. I'm not saying like anybody can do that for your kids. No, I mean, <laughs> you are the only mom. Um, and so I'm not minimizing that at all, but just saying that, that our, our work is not what our hope is set on. Our, our parenting is not what our hope is set on. I mean, I am just now getting to these ages where I feel like I need to read parenting books because so much of it, it you know, you you kind of figure out, you know, well, at least for me, just because of the, the types of babies that I had, I, I didn't really need to read a whole lot of books. I, I read some, but I was like, oh yeah, like this is this is all kind of working together. This, I'm figuring this out. Like this kind of just like falling into place. But now that we're dealing with, you know, willful disobedience and lying and, you know, and choosing sin. And I'm like, oh man, I don't have the language now for these issues. I don't know. I don't want to preach to you that this is all about your behavior and I need obedience now immediately. And then, you know, that's not actually what I should be preaching to you. I should be preaching. You can't do any of this without God's help. Like you are, you are powerless to actually obey unless you ask Jesus for help. Um, so anyways, all that, I, I'm, I know I'm going in tangents, but this is obviously just my real life, but that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like we need, we need, we need help in those areas, but, uh, but that, that, that truth that you were saying about comparison really does apply to all of us. Oh, it does. It does. It doesn't, whatever season we're in that temptation, I think is knocking on the door every day. And if we can kill that giant, (laughs) then we're well on our way to building our lives and leadership on solid ground. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the last thing I want to ask you about is purpose. And I know we have, we have, tapped on this several times throughout the episode, but, but what, 
what does God say our purpose is? Can you remind us again, that scripture says it, I know, but what is our purpose regardless of season in life and how do we continue to turn our hearts back to that truth? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think reading the truth for yourself is pretty important. You know, um, I got to speak at a retreat a couple weeks ago and we walked through this and it was one of those sessions where I'm like, I actually want you to like get your Bible out and I want you to flip the pages and we're going to look at these scriptures together. Cause I don't want you to just take my word for it. Like I want you to read it on the page. So digging in yourself and finding out what scripture talks about as far as our purpose, I think is really important. But um, what I talk about in the book and, and what the Lord's really been showing me is just very simply, you know, we're called to belong to Christ Um, through salvation. And because we belong to Christ, we love God, we love people, and we make disciples. Um, So whatever season we're in, uh, whatever job we are in, whatever station of life we find ourselves in, that is the purpose. So then the question, I think sometimes we feel stuck because we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, you know, when am I going to get to do X? you know, cause we feel like we're missing something, yeah. but if, if we can flip that around and say, you know, what can I be doing right now that that's a game changer? Like, what can yeah. I be doing? What opportunity am I not tapping into? What, what perspective needs to be shift? Not so much. What am I missing out on, but what can I be doing right now? Yeah. Where you're at. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. So Something you said, um, kind of finishing off this conversation on leadership and leading from the playroom floor or the boardroom, you say, God has given you gifts and talents to use for his glory and for his purposes. Maybe this is why leading feels like such a weighty responsibility. It feels bigger than we are because it is. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Uh, Mm Because it does, it does, um, it does feel weighty. I mean, everything feels weighty, whether I'm talking about my work or my motherhood. I mean, it all feels weighty. And like I said, I just literally this week started having some real concerns about my the my capacity for parenting at this level. <laughs> like, I only have a four year old. This is not going to get easier. Like, I already feel like I'm not even, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I should be saying to you, but I know I need to say something. And I, and I just, I I could say something that kind of comes naturally, but that might not be the best thing. And and I don't want to, and then it's like, okay, well, how do I do this best? How do I be the best spirit? I want to be better. I want to, it's like, we go down that trail so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it is a weighty responsibility and we should take it seriously and sure read those parenting books and get help and and, and be equipped for the work at hand, but also remember that that work is bigger than we are because the God that calls us to it is bigger, which also means that he's big enough to, to see it through. He's big yes. enough to actually accomplish it. Yeah. All, all that we need, he has. So, you know, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel exhausted, when you feel stuck or afraid or like a failure or, um, like you're not measuring up, like he's got everything that we need. And, um, you know, so, so that particular passage and the book is one of my favorites because the, the gifts, the abilities, the skills, the passions that God has put in us, he put in us so that we could use them as part of his big story. But I think sometimes we're just missing out on the beauty of that because we think we should be playing someone else's part. 
And um, so if if we can just embrace the season that we're in, knowing that it's a season, that it's not going to be like this forever. So let's, let's maximize the season that we're in. And sometimes that's not the advice that we love. (laughs) Sometimes we like advice that says, leave that season behind. And sometimes God does ask us to do that. Uh, But more often than not, maybe I'm projecting my own experience. My challenge is not being afraid to do something big. More often than not, I struggle to see God's perspective in the things that feel small. Hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. That we mm-hmm. could have had a conversation on that this whole time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, kind of did. I mean, got, yeah, it all fits together, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It all it does. fits together. It really does. Well, that's really that's really good. I'm excited to yeah, just to share, you know, I, I know that a lot of this stuff feels feels basic or feels introductory. Even to me, I can be like, well, yeah, I already know all that. But it's that is that is the Christian life. Like you, it, there is no higher level answer. It is always coming back to the truth that like Jesus did it all, and we don't yeah. have to do it. And that's every single week. My church that serves communion, and every the high point of the sermon, the end of the sermon, it always leads to the table because we have to come and take and eat. We have to take part in his body and his blood. And it's not about, you know, well, here's how I'm going to give you three points to go apply this in your life this week. It is always a reminding me that I, you know, I can't better myself in this area. I need Jesus. Like I have to go back to him, you know, for that help and that hope. So, yeah. Well, and I think that we keep relearning that and we learn it in every new season as it changes. You know, I can go back to the to that story about, you know, that trip to the mountains that the book opens with um, and think about what I learned about God being immovable and what that meant for me in that season. And every one of the chapters in immovable applied then, and it still applies today. I got a message from someone yesterday said, I feel like these truths are just timeless. And I think that's true. I think they are. It's just the stuff that we have to keep relearning because every season brings new challenges that expose how much we really don't know. (laughs) At least that's how it is for me about the time I think I get it figured out. Well, then something changes and I've got to go back and say, okay, God teach me again. And he's so patient with us to do it. Yeah. He is. Yeah. We can never get enough of those simple truths and yeah, just the beauty that, that we don't have to do it because he already did. and, And he continues to do it. He's even doing the work as we are, as we are struggling to understand what the work in our life is, you know, he's, he's calling us and he's equipping us and he is, is paving the way for that. So thank you. Thank you for, yeah, just encouraging the listeners and with your story and sharing, sharing what you're learning. Cause we can all learn from each other. That's what yeah. I love about being alive today is, is I, I'm always learning from my own story, but I love learning as well from other people's stories. So it's the best learning from each other is the best. Well, thank you for the conversation and for inviting me to be a part of this. It's an honor. Yeah. You're welcome. So how can people find you online and connect with you and, uh, and all that? Yeah. So Instagram is my social media platform of choice. I'm on Facebook too, but I love Instagram. So I'm at Meredith underscore a underscore King. And, uh, you can find me at Meredith King And if you want to find the book, you can find that at immovablebook.com. And there you can even grab the first chapter. And uh, that's my gift to you and to anyone who would like to just 
kind of dip their toe in the water. Yeah. Uh, but I love connecting with new friends. So yeah, definitely find me. Awesome. Yeah. I'm super excited to find out what you're on the Enneagrams. (laughs) (laughs) I'll circle back with you. (laughs) Yes. I'll check with you. Uh, let's see, January 10th. That'll be enough. And no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hopefully I'll know by then. You have a deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have, I do have some hunches as well, but, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna label you. I'm gonna let you just, just figure it out. I'll let you know what we discover. All right. Thank you so much, Meredith. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your reviews, with sharing it on social, by subscribing. Um, I really appreciate your participation in this show and um, helping me come back every single week and, uh, and publish it for you. I would love to connect with you on Instagram. So like I said, find me at hayleywilliams.kindled over this four-week break, and I will talk to you again on New Year's Eve, December 31st. Thank you and have a very Merry Christmas.